This episode is brought to you by Evolve Golf, makers of the number one performance golf tee. This is the Getting Better Now podcast, presented by the Golf Business Network, the show by golf professionals for golf professionals, profiling experts from inside and outside the golf industry to help you advance your career, make a lasting impact, and achieve your goals. Here's your host, PGA professional from St. David's Golf Club, Dean Candle. Welcome to episode 21 of the Getting Better Now podcast. In this episode, we take a look back at some of the highlights of the last 20 episodes, where I've had the opportunity to interview some of the brightest minds inside and outside of the golf industry, which has just been not only a huge pleasure of mine to be able to get to know these people, but has served as such an education for me and hopefully more importantly for all of you as well. And while we're taking a look back, I need to take this moment to thank all of you out there for all of your support, for downloading and subscribing to the podcast, for leaving reviews, and for reaching out to me by email or direct message to say how much you've been been enjoying the podcast. I never knew how this thing would go. I never knew if it would take off or if anybody would listen. So just to hear that anybody's enjoying it has been a huge boost for me to keep going, to know that there are people out there that are enjoying this. So each time I hear that, each time we get a new listen or a new download, I just feel good that I'm able to help all of you out there in some little way and bring you this content from some of these great minds in the business. So now as we go back and look at some of the highlights of the last 20 episodes, We're going to focus on some of the best career advice that we've heard so far. I've been able to bring on some directors of golf, head professionals from some of the greatest clubs in the country, as well as, as we'll hear from a non-golf professional, from Dr. Brett McCabe, to give us some advice that you may not get to hear all the time. I'm always intrigued to learn from these great, successful professionals what they think we need to do to reach all of our goals, and to get our career to the levels that we all aspire to. So to be able to pull that out and feature that in this episode, I think would be a great summary for those of you out there that are looking to hear more about what you can do to separate yourself from the pack. So we kick it off with a friend and mentor of mine, Jim Smith Jr. from the Philadelphia Cricket Club, whose story has been inspiring to many of you out there that have heard this episode. This episode is our most downloaded episode in in the last 20, so I know that a lot of people have taken some great value from what Jim tells us about. See, he was only an assistant professional for one year, jumped in in a head professional position at a small club, led that into another position at another club where he became the director of golf and GM, and eventually landed what he would call his dream job at the Philadelphia Cricket Club. So how did he do it? Here it is. Let's take a listen. You know, you referenced there's a a way to get a good job, and it's usually to work at a great club for a great golf professional. But let's look at your history. Is that the way that your career shook out? No. (laughs) Ironically enough, um, 
I generally so the, so there's I think there's two ways to um to to the two best ways to become a, a, a head professional at a, at a at a club or a job that you can hold for ten or fifteen or twenty years. One is what I said before. You know, work at great clubs for great golf professionals. What you're doing by doing that is you're kind of getting in the network. Uh, for lack of a better t- term, you're you're with the in crowd. Um, and and like it or not, it exists. The other way is to get a head professional job as quickly as possible and turn it into something. So like in my case, I was really lucky. I was an, uh, an assistant professional for a year at Riverton when I was 23. And the club that I was, uh, where I was actually a fitness member at in Jenkintown called the Abington Club also had a nine-hole golf course. And I, an opportunity presented itself for me to become the head pro there at 24. Now, there's a lot of people that would that, that probably could could have said at that time you're committing career suicide going to a little nine hole podunk club, but my thought was I'm the guy in charge at age 24 and I'm going to get on the job learning and experience and you know I was there for five years and made some connections there and because I was a head pro it allowed me to springboard into another head pro job which ended up being Talamore when I was 28. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about your job there at Talamore. So. Um, I got hired there. Uh, you basically some members at the Abington Club um, were building homes at Talamore, and they approached me and told me they were looking for a pro and recommended me to the owner. He called me up literally the same day he called me. He offered me the job after I interviewed. So I moved there when I was 28, and a year into that job, the GM left or came into all my office and said, "Hey, listen, I'm leaving. I'm going to open my own business." And he wanted to recommend me for the GM job. And, of course, I'm like, man, I've never been a GM. I don't know anything about food and beverage or anything like that. And he's like, listen, you're smart. You know what you're doing. It's not that hard. And maybe in, 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 I was might have been in sort of self-preservation mode. I was kind of like, I can either take this job and make some more money and work really hard and maybe be successful, or I can let a new GM come in who might not like me, who might make my, my world miserable. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take it. And, you know, Bob Levy, who's the owner of Talamore, Gave me a ton of rope, um, made a lot of mistakes, but got to be the GM director of golf there for basically 10 years. Um, and again, it was the connections at Talamore. It was cricket club members that were coming to Talamore that led to my opportunity at the cricket club. And that goes back to what you do every day. If what I was doing at the Abington Club was terrible, nobody there would have recommended me for the Talamore job. And if what was occurring at Talamore wasn't anything other than a really good experience, the people who from cricket who were coming up there would have never recommended me to cricket. It was what they were experiencing that got me those opportunities. Yeah, so let's put that a little bit into context. So Talamore is an 18-hole ownership uh, situation club, homes around the golf course. Uh, It's in the same vicinity of the cricket club. Uh, But as clubs go, someone may view them quite differently, correct? We could say that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so... In your mindset back then at Talamore, was it, well, if I do a great job here, I might get to a place like the cricket club, or was it more focused on my job is just to do a great job every day? I've, my job was to do a great job every day, and if the right opportunity presented itself, it would present itself. I know that's a little maybe like pie-in-the-sky thinking, but I've always believed you know good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad, and if you just do a great job, somebody will notice, and... When I was a cricket, or excuse me, when I was at Talamore, I was there for, like I said, just under 10 years. I only interviewed for um, two other jobs. Uh, I interviewed at Lookaway and I interviewed at Waynesboro. Both jobs I got down to the final three. 
and neither job I got. And that was, as my wife likes to say, everything happens for a reason. And lo and behold, cricket comes along. And I will tell you this about the cricket club job. I really, to this day, I still feel pressure to perform in part because places like cricket tend to, um, the perception is, is that you need to have a pedigree, right, to get these into the better clubs. And I was like the anti-pedigree guy getting this job. I was kind of like, you know, the average Joe who got lucky. Um, and I still feel that way. So I still feel like I need to do a great job every day to prove to the golf world that you don't need a pedigree to do a great job at a great club. Right. And I think that's the value in your story and what I wanted to talk about today to, to show people that it's not just one path, that there are other opportunities out there and other are other ways to go about that. I think one could even argue that your mindset of I'm going to go and get this hands-on experience so that when I get the job, I've already done it at some level, is that could be more successful than just learning, learning, learning about what you're going to do when you get the job, right? Your path definitely could be more worthwhile, but it's just not as common. No question about it. And, and the guys who, who I currently have um, who, are, who have been interviewing, you know, one of the things that pops up in the interviews is, as the head professional at the cricket club, what level of, of do, quote-unquote, do you really have with Jim there um, or with me there? So it's clearly a question that, that search committees and um, search firms want to understand, which is how much experience do you have with the do? Of, of actually being neck deep in all this, and clearly, if you're the top guy at a club, um, you know, pick a pick any pick a pick a nice public golf course. You're the do guy. That's a hard job, and that that will resonate with a lot of different places. In episodes three and four. Our guest was Tony Pancake, the Director of Golf and Operations at Crooked Stick Golf Club in Carmel, Indiana. Tony was a fantastic guest who brought with him over 30-plus years of experience as a head golf professional at multiple top 100 clubs to tell us his thoughts about managing your time and managing the expectations at the club, as well as his idea of how to build a successful career. But I asked him specifically about building a network and building relationships if you're an assistant professional or even as a head golf professional trying to possibly work yourself still up the ladder into a new position. So Tony gives us his advice on how he would do that and how he would coach somebody that asked him this exact question. For the young assistant that's out there, maybe listening to this and understanding, okay, yeah, networking is really important. I need to expand my network. What do you tell that that young professional about actually how to make that happen? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the first thing I would I would use my example and say, mm -hmm. if you could work seasonally. Um, in two parts of the country. I know there's some challenges to that, and everybody wants to kind of find a place to live and not have to move. But in the long run for your career, it's probably better to to have twice the network than it is to only have, say, in, in 
right now working in Indiana only. But if you could work in Florida in the wintertime or Arizona in the wintertime and come back to Indiana in the summertime, you've doubled your network, and that can only help you. Um, the other thing I would tell them to do is wherever you are, um, there are very influential people in golf and uh, inf influential golf professionals. And I would uh, get to know all those people as well as I could. I would shadow them. Um, whoever the merchandiser of the year is, say, hey, can I come over and just uh, introduce myself? I'd love to see your golf shop and spend half an hour with you and tell me what, what you do to merchandise so well. The best teachers, shadow them and go watch them give some golf lessons. Uh, the best tournament operators, go, go see if you can watch them run a golf tournament. And, um, I mean, not only do you learn a great deal to help your career, but you also have developed a relationship. So, I mean, in Indiana, Jack Barber is, is the most respected golf professional. And if, if I was a young assistant in Indiana, I would go hang out with Jack Barber. And then when I was applying for a job, I would ask Jack if I could use him as a reference. Mm -hmm. And uh, my guess is if Jack says you're a good guy, you're probably going to get a pretty, uh, pretty strong look from, from whoever you're interviewing with. Can you actually, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but is there a specific moment or person that you met that you can say if you track back backtrack this step which led to that step which led to that step that kind of put the wheels in motion or would you say it was just uh, a lot of things that kind of came together over time to help you set you on this path yeah I, um, I think it was one particular uh, so I, I was working as an assistant um, in North Carolina. I was working for Jack Lumpkin at the Elk River Club. And there was another club in the area that uh, had a highly respected golf professional. And I, I just got to know him a little bit. And sure enough, five years later, or not, not five years later, gosh, it's probably two or three years later, um, the Valhalla Golf Club's looking for a golf professional. And the club manager called this guy and said do you have anybody that you would recommend and he said Tony never worked for me but I thought he was really you know a guy that that had a bright future in golf so why don't you reach out to him and the guy called me and I interviewed for the job and I got it so at a young age I had a chance to start at a high level club that kind of set me on this path but it happened uh, because of a relationship that I had established um, as an assistant. So while you can never know when those interactions are really going to happen or you know, trace back and say, if this didn't happen, then ABC wouldn't have happened after that. But what you're saying is that you can be very proactive in trying to develop these relationships. And in fact, you need to be proactive when it comes to creating a network. Uh, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And not only does it help you with, uh, I think I said this a little while ago, y y you learn so much from other people. I mean, we all do things differently and maybe end up with about the same results. But as you spend time with other, pe other people, you can see that how they do them. And maybe they're doing it more efficiently than you are. Maybe they're doing it in a way that stimulates an idea that you could try something new. And then... As you 
um, as your career continues on, you have these relationships that you can call people and say, hey, I'm looking for an assistant or um, our golf committee wants to consider a new format for the uh, member guest tournament. You have these resources that are so valuable through this network. So I, 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 I couldn't encourage you enough to throw a wide net. Let's take a quick break for a word from the sponsor of this episode, Evolve Golf. Evolve Golf has been a proud supporter of the Golf Business Network for 10 years. Evolve has grown from a golf tee manufacturer to a maker of bespoke custom tee gifts. EC2 Tee Gift is a completely customized gift box that is memorable, personal, and most importantly, it's affordable. Choose any number of contents for the box, including tees, composites, hand-forged metals, and custom socks. You start by customizing one of Evolve Golf's leading tees, Epoch or Project Goodwoods, with customization of the logos, text, color, and size. Next is the composites. And how about metals? Choose ball markers, repair tools, or bag tags to be handcrafted in brass, bronze, 304 steel, or hot rolled steel. Do you want it to be hand-hammered or edge-beveled to finish off your one-of-a-kind piece? Let Evolve design you a custom motion wool performance sock for every box. Finish off your EC2T gift with personalization on the outside of the box made for an individual, foursome, or an entire field to create the most unique tournament gift package. With EC2T gifts, it adds a special touch to any event for any budget. Let Evolve make your tournament gift planning a little easier. Contact your account manager today and let them design your memorable keepsake. Now back to this episode. In episode 15, I was able to get some time speaking with Dr. Brett McCabe, who's one of the leading sports and performance psychologists in golf today. He's coaching multiple players on all of the major tours, as well as working with a lot of college players in multiple sports through his association with the University of Alabama. So he has a unique perspective because he's played sports at a high level as a college pitcher. He plays golf recreationally, but he also coaches players on their mental game and helps coach coaches on how to make their players better. So I asked him a pretty specific question that I know there are a lot of people out there that struggle with, and it was about managing the expectations as a player when you're a golf professional at a club. So some of you may have had this experience or are living it right now where you're starting at a new position at a club, whether you're an assistant or the head golf professional, and everybody expects you to play well. Maybe your game's not in tip-top shape. Maybe you haven't had time to play or practice. I think we're all familiar with that. You're then asked to go jump out and play, and maybe you don't play your best or as well as you had hoped. How can you manage that pressure? Well, Dr. McCabe spoke specifically to that. So for those of you out there dealing with this, I hope this helps. Because one of the challenges that we face as professionals at a club is that we are supposed to be experts in many different areas. We're kind of jack of all trades is the nature of our job. But obviously, it starts at some point with playing the game. And 
We're in the same boat that most professionals are where we don't have a lot of time to, to play and practice. We might get grabbed from the golf shop to say, hey, do you want to go play? And you run right out to the first tee. You have time to put your shoes on and that's it. And then you stand on the tee and, and people stop and say, hey, there's the pro. Let's see where he hits it. And you have these, a lot of people battle these external pressures of what they're supposed to be in in a position, what their game should be and it keeps them from playing at the level that uh, that they that they hope to, right? Yeah. It keeps oh, your yeah. game down. Yeah. What's what are some ways that, that we can fight that and and really try to, you know, get play to our potential or you know, play to our, our true ability. I think I think you hit on something really well. Um and as a member of a club for fifteen years, sixteen years, have been on the board and been in the executive positions, I don't feel like our pros play golf enough with our members. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of tasks that are needed to run the operations. Um, but I feel like the value of a pro is being in front, not behind a counter. Yeah. And, um, we can find people to work the counters that allows the experts to be out in front of people. Okay. The, the scientists that created, you know, the, the executive chef of a phenomenal restaurant is oftentimes once the restaurant's successful, is not the one in the kitchen. They're the ones out there interacting with the customers, okay? Um, I think pros need to play with their members as much as they possibly can because that's where those relationships are built. That's where the Mm -hmm. trust is built. That's where they get to see you as an authentic human being. The greatest leaders are authentic to themselves. They're not trying to be something they're not. And I, I I think on Saturday morning games, the pro should, at least one pro should always play in one of the games. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on Sunday the same way. I think the pros should play with the ladies groups if the ladies like that. Some ladies don't, but if you have a female pro, I think that, and I think it should yeah. never be gender specific. I think it should mix. Okay. Um, the reason is our members want they want that interaction. They're not expecting you to be a tour player. They're expecting you to bring wisdom from the game. And, I, and I've had that conversation with a couple friends of mine who are pros, and, and the statements are always, "Well, I mean, I'm not playing really well right now." I'm like, it doesn't matter. You can bring a first-class experience to my team by being human, by you know, missing a short putt and laughing, okay, and still right. want to be in the $20 game, okay? Um, well, I mentioned before, one of my good friends is Mark Blackburn, who's a top 100, top 50 instructor, sure. right? He plays all the time. He's a good player. Mm-hmm. But he plays all the time because – even though he's got small kids, he knows that's where his relation, and he's the, te- he's the head of instruction. He's not the, the head professionals. Um, he plays because he enjoys being out there. And, and I've been out there with him before, and we, he and I were working on a tour player one day who had an anger problem. And Mark said, I want you to watch what I'm about to do. And so he hits a bad shot on par three, and he just lets his club fly. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, that's not what I expected. And he said, I did it to show the young kid that we're all human, okay, that that was inappropriate, but sometimes our anger does take over. It's how we handle it now that matters. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a made-up situation, but he did it to show the kid, a really talented tour player, that anger happens. Well, we can talk about that in our building all day long, but until you see it, it doesn't imprint. Well, I think right now we have one of our pros that's on a, tu- on a trip in the Dominican, Okay. And the players, the people always come back and like, I did not know that about so-and-so. We had the best time playing. Nobody goes, God, he shot 64, 64, 64. In fact, that's probably intimidating to members. 
Sure. Being human where you hit a ball out of bounds and you're like, huh, all right, or, you know, stubbing a chip. Don't do it on purpose, but being human allows that connection. So I'd always tell players, listen, you are who you are, players, uh, pros that, are, that play. You are who you are. Don't apologize for who you are. Don't make excuses for who you are, but be invested and competitive in the exchange, and people will find that authenticity. Yeah, I, that's so good to hear, and I think another great reminder for, for all the golf pros out there, because in reality, if you do go out and shoot 68 or 67 or something, they might sit and talk about it at lunch afterwards, but half the people are like, well, of course he did. He's the pro. <laughs> and there you go. You just shot under par, and people think, well, you should anyway. Or if you go out and shoot 79 or 80, you know, but they had a good time with you. That's really what matters, right? And the, the fact that you're building those relationships. Yeah, they want to uh, know that you're interested and stick around and have lunch with them. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, I don't know what each everybody's policy is. I, I always say, my dad taught me a long time ago is if your customers take you out for drinks, get one drink and nurse it while they mm-hmm. drink their four. Okay? Right. Don't sit there and be a stiff if you if they offer you something and you, you don't have a drinking problem or something like that is what I'm saying. But right. is know how to be one step ahead. Your pros want you to know who you are. They want they want to know who you are, and it, you can keep that barrier up between being you know blending the personal and the business, but you can still provide. But I see way too many people who go to the club, and we're an easygoing club, and and you know it's 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 a wonderful place, and and I'll see some people be intimidated when they come in there, and I was intimidated when I first joined. And the yeah. pros are the ones that help blend that and, and help you introduce mm-hmm. yourself to other people. And if the pro is not a part of that and is too busy, then the members are not going to connect with you. And I know you have a busy job. I'm not denying that. But so do your members. In episodes 16 and 18, my guest was Carrie Cosby, the director of golf at Southern Hills. Now, Carrie, as I said in that episode, is maybe the most decorated golf professional you will find anywhere. But even with that, he was extremely humble and extremely helpful in what he offered to us during those two episodes. Now, for any assistants that may wonder what it takes to get a job with somebody like Kerry Cosby or at a club like Southern Hills. I asked him that specific question. What do you look for when you're interviewing an assistant, and how does an assistant stand out to you to make you want to bring that person onto your team? So for those of you out there in this situation, I hope this helps. You talked a little bit about hiring great people, and I know there's a lot of assistants that listen to the podcast. So when you do have a position available. And I I can probably assume that uh, you get plenty of good people recommended to you um, being yeah, in the, yeah. at a club like Southern Hills, but you still have to evaluate those assistants or potential assistants and there are things you're looking for. How does, how do one of them stand out to you to where you can say, all right, that's, that's who I want. Uh, a lot of things probably, uh, you know, mm-hmm. when they interview, uh, I'm looking at their nonverbal as much as I, what they're saying, maybe even more so because it's 90 plus percent of what we say is, is with nonverbal communication and body language. Of course, I'm going to look and see how are they, how are they dressed? Uh, I'm not going to be judgmental on the deal, but it, you know, it doesn't take, um, 
it's not not the actual clothes, just the the attempt and and the the attention to detail, the shoes shined or whatever the case may be, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your personality like? I mean, do they smile in that? You know, are they going to fit in? Are they they seem like somebody who's comfortable. And then I'm going to try to make them feel uncomfortable, and and, okay. and uh, during the, during the interview process a little bit, put them in a the spot what's that, that feel like that cause cause well. I, because you want to see how you don't get this very often during an interview process is what's going to make, how are they going to react when they're stressed and how are mm-hmm. they going to react when I'm stressed? You know, so uh, I'm going to try hard not to let them know that I'm stressed. Right. But, but, it, but obviously they, they, Hey, the crew I work with, we're, we're side by side. So my body language I'm sure speaks volumes and I get lots of funny stories and make fun of me and everything else when, when, uh, w- w- things I forget about. And I'm sure you've had this happen too with former assistants, but the, the, um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to prod with my questions on what, what they don't like to do or what makes them uneasy or, you know, how well do they take criticism? Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've had, I've had assistants that you can say whatever you want and they're fine. And you say one thing and if it's just, you know, it could be, Hey, um, why didn't why didn't we check this in the right way? Something simple, and they're like they're red faced and they're they're defensive. And it's not like I'm mad at you. I'm not going to hit you. I'm not going to fire you. I'll just say, hey, here's why we need to do this better. And and uh, it's no big deal. I'm going to forget about it going down the road. It's again, it's making sure that we we understand our expectations. So I I think that um, uh, getting to know the person kind of from from that level of what uh, and I don't. I wish I could give you some great examples of, of questions, but, um, you know, my, my, my good friend, Cameron Doan down at Preston trail, who uh, just won the national Strasbaugh award. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and he, he did because of what he's been doing when it comes to developing his staff at obviously with that award, but he's taken it way deeper with, uh, with like personality testing and working with them and, and, and finding, you know, getting people to be self-aware. I think self-awareness is a, is a huge deal. It, it isn't any business, Agreed. but it's a big one. It's a big one in our business. And and having self-awareness that and understanding uh, every single thing is is I think is really important. I, we we call that here having a 360 degree viewpoint. Uh, you know, it's it. I, I've I've told I have a 10 year old son, and we talk you know stuff like this all the time driving to school, and but. I think you always have an advantage if you can truly look at a situation or an issue or a, from everybody's perspective, not just your own. And if you understand mm-hmm. the angles and you can understand, like we had a green committee meeting this morning and nothing happened that would do this. But if I'm looking at all of the answers and we've got, if we had an issue on the table, what are these, what's everybody's angle? Okay. And then it helps you decide because my, my, my deal is not what's best for Carrie. My deal is what's best for, this club and having, mm-hmm. okay, my eyes on this target here and I'm going to let the white noise on the side. I've got a good filter. I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm not going to listen to that, but if somebody says something that's important or I think that, that it warrants further discussion, then, but I think you have to look at it. If you're just looking at your own shoes, it's a, or looking at things from your own viewpoint, it's, it, it's a mistake and uh, you're not going to go very far in any business if you do that. But, but um, kind of what I'm saying was, you know, cameras dealing with, he's trying to find out, you know, what makes in, and it makes them more self-aware just by doing these testing, this testing that he's doing with it. So, yeah. uh, and I think that's, that's a, that's a big deal. So it's, it's, um, 
And I want them to spend some time. Uh, I'm interviewing a, a, a young lady on Friday. We're, we're looking for an assistant. We haven't really, we just posted it recently. So we're kind of doing some word of mouth and trying to find some people. But I want the, each candidate to spend time with our staff, right? I mean, it's important that they get it, you know, whether it's having lunch or driving around the golf course and look around or it's ask some questions or, or kind of interview them a little bit. And uh, uh, because it, that chemistry between all of the, all of the assistance is, is important. And, uh, it's really what sets the atmosphere at your club. It's not, you know, you, uh, Cameron and I are actually talking about this the other day. It's, you know, annual meeting at your club. Somebody will get up there and say, Oh, you need to really support the club. Well, you know, I, I always laugh at the, at the board telling the club, the members, they need to support their own club. We need to give them a reason to come out here. You know, mm-hmm. We're the, the, the culture starts with the staff because we're the ones here 24 seven. You know, if a guy comes out here every Saturday or, you know, lady comes out on Friday afternoon, that's her day to play golf. And she's not here enough to to influence that. She's here as a consumer. So we have to make sure that it's that the the culture and the feel and the atmosphere of the club is is important. That starts with people getting along, people respecting uh, the role of each of of each team member, if you will. And uh, and that's, you know, that's what we're trying to find when we when we hire somebody. Our final piece of advice comes from episode six, where our guest was Kevin Muldoon, the director of golf at Jupiter Hills. Now, Kevin had just recently gotten this position at Jupiter Hills after a 10-year stint at the Country Club of York in Pennsylvania. So I asked Kevin specifically a couple questions about the interview process at Jupiter Hills, what he learned, what was different about the last time he went through this, and specifically how he prepared. I think this could be really valuable information for anybody out there that will find themselves interviewing for a position in the near future. So take a listen to what Kevin had to say. I think it's going to help you. Let's say, what could you take from your interview experience here that you'll be able to kind of tell the the people working for you that are going to go through this process? How did it help you learn more about the interview process to be able to to give them some some more feedback about how to prepare? Yeah, I think, you know, it was a different experience, certainly. Well, one, if I compare it to the first time around, I was 27 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I knew a lot of things, but I think this time around, I wasn't making it up as much. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that funny how how you look back at 27, (laughs) 28, and we think we we thought we were so smart back then? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I thought I was, yeah, everything (laughs) I was spewing, I think, uh, at 27. But this time, I, I really could speak on the fact, and I uh, and I could speak about it passionately, you know, about building a culture, leading a team, our our value statement, what's important to us as an operation, how we mandate personal responsibility through our team. Those are those are things I could talk about because I did them, right. and uh, that was important to the committee, which was beneficial, obviously, to me. Um, it was they were looking to build a, a stronger team here at Jupiter Hills, and certainly that played played a role. Now the Country Club of York that was. Obviously, you're harder trying to sell someone to come to York, but you had to sell them on the fact that they were going to work um, for you and you're going to help them with their career. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was certainly – I gained that experience. But from the interview process, working through a search for, firm, obviously, uh, there's more legwork involved in it, You know, more essay questions, uh, more to-dos leading up to the interview process. But once you get in the room, it's 
it's it's the same as it runs through a search committee. Mm-hmm. You're having a, I always look at it as trying to have a conversation. Like you're having lunch with them, um, but they're just going to ask you more specific questions. And, you know, obviously that, that makes everyone comfortable. You're trying to, you know, again, to have them just go back and forth, make it a conversation, not an interview. And that, that's always my goal in the room and in, in that interview process. And lucky enough, I've, I've done pretty well in those interview process. So mm-hmm. that's obviously, that's obviously worked. But it's really, again, it's really no different than a search committee. You have board members, uh, you have golf committee members that are part of that committee that care greatly about the club. They understand the history, which is obviously important for, for me to know before I go in there and mm-hmm. do your, do your research and, and do your due diligence to understand what are some of the challenges that they're going to have. And how so someone you... who is not, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Cause not to cut you off there, but as you, you know, yeah. as you're talking about doing your research and your, and your due diligence, how are you going about doing that? No, good question. You're, you're trying to find a member at that club that you know, or mm-hmm. through friends. So it's through your networks. How can I get in contact with you know, with a member to have a you know a candid conversation through a, a mutual a relationship or a mutual mentor, whatever it may be? So luckily, uh, I have wonderful mentors, and we're able to have a couple of those conversations and mm-hmm. understand some of the things that they're you know as a member of the club they they walk it they they pull in the parking lot every day they play the golf course they see who the staff is and some of the things that maybe perturb them or some of the the weaknesses that they see. Or, or some of the grumblings they may know through the rest of the membership. So if you have that information in hand, uh, you're able to, you know, you know, plan and come up with uh, answers to those questions and a plan for success before they ask it. <laughs> right. So what else are you doing then to prepare for that actual interview, the day that you sit down in front of, uh, you know, those board members? So I, I try to think about all the questions and more, more of like an outline fashion. If they mm-hmm. ask me about women's golf, what are the bullet points? So I look at bullet points. How am I going to answer that? I want to be prepared because you're trying to, you know, it's, it's, it's a job interview. If you want the yeah. job, you'll, you'll make the necessary effort to do so. So, uh, I talk to myself in the car. So I'd answer those questions in the car. If they ask me about ladies golf in any form or fashion. I'm able to circle back. Even if I get stumbled, I can circle back to a base. I have a baseline mm-hmm. for that question and I can hit my bullet points or whatever it may be. If it's about budgeting or, or team building or whatever question it, it, I look at it as an outline. And uh, I always have something to circle back if I get stumbled. So that mm-hmm. makes me comfortable, makes me, sh- me shine at all times because I know that I can, whatever question they ask me, if I don't answer it perfectly, I can answer it in some form or fashion that certainly is acceptable in, in a comfortable manner. So there you have it, some of our best career advice from the first 20 episodes of the Getting Better Now podcast. Now, there's still plenty more in there in those episodes. If you haven't listened and you want to dive in and hear the full episodes, I certainly recommend it. Plus, take a listen to the other guests that we had that brought so much value in each episode to each of us as golf professionals. Again, our goal is to help you all get better at what you're doing so you can create more value at your facility and create and build a better career. So thank you again to everyone for listening. And if you please could, 
go to iTunes or where you listen to this podcast and leave a review and a rating because it helps others find the podcast so that others can benefit from it. Plus, it's kind of cool to see those ratings come in as well. Until next time, thanks for listening. This was the Getting Better Now podcast presented by the Golf Business Network. Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and be sure to rate and review while you're there. For more information, go to golfbusinessnetwork.com.